They call it the biophony, or the universal orchestra, the symphony of the natural world. This is Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson, and today I'm exploring the sounds and the music of nature. At the end of this podcast, I'll be reading an old story that I wrote called Pulse of an Old World. So sit back, relax, and let's talk about some music. It's been said that surrounding ourselves in nature will cause us to perceive a wider range of sounds than being limited to spending most of our time in heavier, industrialized cities. Now, I don't know how I feel about that one, because even dependence upon sound technology in cities can produce so many variations of one sound. It sounds like a symphony to me, just a more industrial one. But we could go crazy with that idea, the number of sounds that we can get from one technologically produced sound. What about more natural sounds? Nature's music. The Hutu and Tutsi tribes of East Africa, they know about the low-frequency communication of elephants, and they've incorporated these sounds into their music and into their storytelling forever. Whales singing in the ocean. Most of the world didn't even know about this until it was recorded in the 1940s, but seafaring tribes have heard it through the hulls of their boats for centuries. There's music out there that we can't even comprehend until we've landed in some remote space somewhere that we've never even thought about. The diversity of nature's music is endless. And most of this music, almost all of it, has a rhythm. We're all humans and animals capable of creating asymmetric sounds, but just like we do, animals do prefer to create repetitive noises, which produces a longer and more identifiable rhythm. There's a beat to everything out there. This is recognizable when we sit outside in the morning and listen to the birds. They don't just belt out all sorts of noises that don't match each other, they repeat. They create motifs and they repeat those until they decide to create another call, which although it's gonna be different, it uses the same repetitive motion. Everything moves in repetition and we're inclined on the basis of this idea to be more attracted to consistent, regular beats and rhythms in the music that we make. So if you're a composer of music, you're gonna get more listeners with something that keeps a steady rhythm as opposed to trying to get too progressive and filling it up with too many irregularities. There's an art to progressive music making. Getting too crazy with the beat offsets will generally make a song hard to follow and you'll lose a lot of people. But of course, if that's what you're going for, there's an audience for that too. But back to the biophony. I'm actually gonna start with that progressive music example because it leads me into talking about the synchronization of crickets. Living in the mountains, especially so close to the Blue Ridge Parkway, 
I've spent hours listening to this loud, so loud, chirping of crickets and being absolutely captured by it. It's hypnotizing. If you go all the way up to the higher peaks of the parkway, sit on the edge of an overpass up there, there are all these cliff sides and the mountains, they just roll out like a bumpy, swelling carpet of mountaintops. And this makes this incredible acoustic thing happen where everything, even the air, has a delay. It echoes and it bounces off everything and raises the amplitude of anything that makes a noise up there. So something as simple as listening to crickets becomes downright dramatic. <laughs> now what do these crickets and people who make super progressive beat music have in common? Well, that's really interesting. I don't know if anyone's ever thought about this or picked up on it. Sometimes I'm a weirdo in the way I think. But okay, so crickets synchronize with each other, right? But as they're synchronizing, there's going to be occasional pushes and attempts to take the lead. And this creates this offbeat, disrupting the synchronization. But there are followers as well as leads. Think of them as the steady rhythm players. And they're happy to follow right along and not worry about it. So you've got betas as well as alphas in every category of animal. They're content. They're going to get laid too. As long as they're out there making music, they're going to get lucky. But this is why, if you'll notice, if you're listening to the crickets on a summer night, you'll notice this slight change every once in a while when the tempo will kind of move and take another direction. Pay attention the next time you're out listening to crickets. It's really cool. You're hearing a few lead crickets heading the band off in another direction. And they do this because a lot of females tend to pay attention to the lead. And yet they're still looking for that consistency. So it never veers off too far. And this is nature's version of rhythm progression in music. Birds are some of the most similar music makers to humans. They transpose motifs in different keys. They'll use the same kinds of note patterns. They use harmonies, the same pitch variations that we use. The notes in the song of the wood thrush, for example, are pitched to match a lot of the musical scales that we use. This phenomenon is probably why we're so attracted to songbirds. We're very much the same in our song-making preferences. The canyon wren sings in a chromatic scale. The hermit thrush sings in a pentatonic scale. There's this amazing bird in Australia, the palm cockatoo, that plays an instrument instead of singing to attract a female. He'll break a twig from a tree find a hollow log to make his nest in, hold that twig with his foot, and beat on the log like a drum. Just look up a drumming bird and cockatoo and you'll find it. Anyway, I suggest looking up the, the palm cockatoo and, and watching them play the drum. They all have their own rhythm. They're the ancestors of the, the common parrot. I love these birds, but there aren't many of them left. They're really rare. They're not listed as an endangered species by the IUCN, but they are almost extinct. 
There's under only uh, 3,000 of them left in Australia. And the ones in New Guinea are dwindling because of deforestation. The fact is they don't have much reproductive success and they don't make their own nests. They rely on these very old trees with hollows in them. They build their nests in the hollows of these trees. And it takes years and years for a tree to get old enough to do that. But as far as, as listing endangered species, there's a concern table. And these birds are of the least concern in relation to other species that are on that list to protect. The elements of our human composed music are based on the foundations of the natural environment. We used music before we started speaking in sentences to communicate with each other, before we composed it for recreation, for enjoyment. Anthropological studies have proved that hunter-gatherer tribes of humans would mimic the cries and the beats of animals in nature in order to communicate with each other. And one thing I'm personally fascinated with is the fact that early dance would incorporate sounds and rhythm as a communication tool as well. You know, we forget that before we had well-developed language, we had music and dance and gestures. And those things weren't just for relaxation and recreation. They were essential. They were information exchange. Music was developed first out of necessity. Think of the noises and the cries that babies make. There's a lot of communication of emotion there. There's emotion in every sound that comes from a dog or a cat. The natural music of the seasons. We're inspired by seasons, transitions of those seasons. But had you ever really thought of that subtle music that the seasons themselves are making? Every season has a different beat. Springtime is lively. The rhythm is faster and the sounds are more diverse than in any other season because almost every animal out there is courting a potential mate. It's like the bar crawl of seasons. The birds are going crazy. Dragonflies are hooked in a death roll, buzzing down waterways and hitting creek banks. Dragonfly mating is pretty brutal, actually. They dive bomb and tackle each other like a sports team. If you've ever heard the mating call of a fox, you'd swear there was a baby being beaten somewhere out in the woods. It gets insane here in the woods during the spring. It is the noisiest symphony of the year. Summer starts to settle. Hotter temperatures make lazier sounds. The ones who seem to want to make the most noise are the water creatures because they have a little bit of a break from the coolness of ponds and creeks and lakes. So you get this really cool laid back orchestra of frogs and cicadas in the trees. It communicates an entirely different emotion. The birds sing in the morning, but they fall back a little bit when it starts getting really hot outside. You've got snakes mating and hissing at predators. I mean, most people won't hear a snake, but I do. I practically live on Snake Hill in the summertime. <laughs> 
I see at least five snakes a week in July and August. Black snakes like to come hang out in the well room, my covered back porch area that houses an old school hand dug well. And I don't mind really, I like the black snakes. They keep the poisonous ones away and rats and things like that. So I have no problem when the black snakes are uh, rooming with me. <laughs> Then we've got the beautiful, crispy, percussive autumn, most people's favorite. And just pay attention to all the sounds that come from antagonizing the environment around us, walking over those crackling dry leaves, the rustles in the trees because those dying leaves are moving like rattles and shakers when the birds are moving around in there, and they can make a lot of noise. The nights in the fall are full of a higher degree of anxiety because animals that depend on food sources abundant in the spring and the summer are about to, to disappear. So you've got more predatory activity, things fattening themselves up and getting ready for the winter hibernation. I hear most creepy screams of death at this time of year around the forest that I live in. Nuts are falling from all the black walnut trees around the property here. I get a lot of nuts dropping on tin roofs of the barn and the old house. And sometimes it can really startle me. These are loud hits. And they don't just fall on their own. This is when the squirrels come out and start shaking all the limbs on purpose to get all the nuts to fall. It's crazy. Autumn's got a little bit of crazy vibe to it. And finally, the winter, quieter, softer. This creates an entirely new sound in the atmosphere. The snow acts like a buffer and it softens all the sounds. And yet you'll still have this wide open space that lets the air sweep through in an echo. So you get this strange, isolated music from, from nature. Most things are sleeping trying to pile up on top of each other in their dens and keep warm. Even people don't go out much. So quiet. Just the air. And we mimic these seasonal emotions with the music that we make. All the greatest composers of the Renaissance, their music is inspired by the seasons. Music comes out of every corner of this earth. It comes from the sky the thunderstorms that roll across the land and the crescendo of ocean waves. I have never felt alone out here in the woods because I hear all this stuff going on all the time. Even in the winter when it's more muted and quieter, it's still playing this eternal symphony. I can hear little rustles in the dead brush. I still wake up to woodpeckers. I hear coyotes and owls and the occasional very loud cracking of a dead tree falling from the weight of the ice. If you're a composer of music and think you're running out of ideas or you feel blocked, just go outside, listen. Even in the cities, you can still hear nature. We can't run it off. The rats are knocking over cans and stealing pizzas in the subway. The birds still sing 
and the water still splashes against the shorelines of, of Rockaway Beach in New York. You're never out of reach of nature. And the city noises we craft ourselves, I mean, wow. <laughs> Rumbling subway stations and, and construction gears and the ambience of a busy cafe in the morning. The music is everywhere. Man-made, manipulated, natural and organic. It doesn't stop. This is the never-ending symphony of our living, breathing world. I'm going to end this today by reading you a story I wrote, which is actually a sequel to another one called Eva's Search for Heart. The story is about a wolf named Eva. In Eva's Search for Heart, she feels a void inside her, and she's anxious and determined to figure out what she's missing. And it turns out that she wants to make music. Well, in the story I'm about to read, it continues when she holds a meeting with the other wolves and they come together to bring music to the human world. It's called Pulse of an Old World. The sound of a thousand footsteps shook the ground. They were coming. Eva circled her tree again, nervous about facing her peers. She was used to her isolation and the thought of being the center of attention made her tremble all over. She didn't want to do it, yet she did want to. Over the next three days, they gathered in packs around her tree and they waited. There were some with the most beautiful black coats she had ever seen. Others had eyes so blue they made the sky pale and weep. Eva gathered her wits, took a deep breath, and lifted her voice. My brothers and sisters, how I've wanted so long to see you again. The sound you created in the earth as you came to me. Did you hear it? This rhythm caused an energy inside me that wanted to move mountains. This is the beat of music, and I believe that it will bring a great power of activity to the world. They listened with excitement. The idea of music and the rhythm they already felt in their hearts and feet seemed boundless. It was full of emotion and hard to contain. They agreed to make an instrument to release this energy and turn it into something extraordinary. Over the next year, the Wolves of the Earth worked on taking the rhythm of their pounding feet and putting it into something that they and others could use. They aimed to give everyone a chance to wield the power of the beat. But this also required sacrifice. Nature used the forces of both her dark and her bright influences, for everything that was great also had a darker side. The circle of life and death's forces always moved through the world of creatures and things. So the wolves hunted, and they kept the skins of their prey. This skin was stretched over hollow bowls made by crafty swallows and insects. Creatures worked together night and day to construct grand drums. They worked in the rain and under the sun's rays, building and stretching and carving the wood of trees with their claws. Before long, there were hundreds of instruments of varied sizes and sounds. Birds broke the stillness of the sky to say it was time to move the finished drums. On the last day of the winter season, the drums were passed throughout the land. Slowly, vibrations of a new controlled rhythm began to sound. The chaos of that raw energy 
was turned into Eva's dreams of music. Parrots, elephants, chimps, and people started to dance. This new magic inspired an unspoken kinship between creatures, breaking through isolation and pain. Sadness could be trapped and filtered into mysterious, beautiful songs, and joy could pound its voice through the air of still mountains. A healing of the world and a new connection was traveling through the skies on the wings of silver doves. Eva sat still and listened, taking in the joy of this new sorcery. She wanted to visit the land of people, for there were tales that their rhythms were conjuring radical harmonies and songs. So she took two of her sisters and made passage to the desert on the other side of the world. Days passed and their trip was serenaded by the echoes of distant thunder reflecting these new sonic waves. The sky sounded like magic. They saw many great things on their journey. And by spring, Eva and her sisters had made their way to the Ethiopian highlands. It was a vast place with hues of subtle greens and brown colors baking under the strong sun. The people were beautiful creatures with arms and hands that had the power of building interesting tools, houses, and pretty things. There were painted bone tools called art and masks painted with pollens and earth's minerals. Shiny jewels and ores bounced light across space, coloring the walls of little dwellings. Eva was stricken with awe. The curious wolf pack stayed out of sight and watched until nightfall. And just as the moon peeked around her veil, the most enticing display began to take place under the big sky. Sandy's sable feet started a dance that swept up a circle on the soft ground. They were adorned in shells and beads and sheets of color twirled around their bodies like wings as they moved. Their drums kept beating, gaining power and speed as the night went on. Voices chanted in the lilted harmonies that they made, and Eva's heart felt like it was flying. Their fires were shining bright in the dark, and Eva could sense the flutter of nocturnal creatures behind the trees. The music seemed to intensify the spark in their spirit and prepare them for nightly ventures. This was the first great gift that would bring many creatures of Earth together and inspire many more. Eva moved back into the shadows with her sisters, letting the music drift them away to the land of dreams. Stars gleamed in the skies. The Earth settled into another kind of power, and space parted to make room for her young and new resilience. This has been Natural and Wild with Christine Grayson. I'd like to thank the most prominent supporters of this show as this is a listener-supported podcast. Bruce Preston, Chris Nolan, Arnold Bloom, Yvonne Raglan, Robin Umber, William Bishop, and Sheila McGregor. I'd like to thank those who have supported via the virtual tip jar. Link at the bottom of the podcast page of my website, christinegrayson.com. Have a great weekend and come back again next week.